So we, uh, we just started a sermon series uh, on the Sermon on the Mount, right? And in the beginning of Jesus' sermon that we started last week, uh, we talked about the values of a Christian. Uh, and we talked about how the values of a Christian are so different, are so radically different than the world. And so what we see now in this passage is that now that Jesus has set the foundation for our values, he focuses now on the outside. He focuses on our relationship with the world. You see, it's, it's, it's interesting how God is able to work first in our lives and, and see and, and set our priorities straight. And then right away he says, okay, now that you have your foundation set, now that you have your values right, let's look towards what you can do with the world. Because we see in verses 1, to, one through 10, it's how the gospel of Jesus Christ changes our, our values with the world. And now Jesus is saying, here is your relationship with the world. You see, if you believe that Jesus Christ is your personal Savior and Lord, then you will be the salt of the earth. Then you will be the light of the world. And so what we're going to do this sermon is just answer three specific questions. Number one is, why do we need to be the salt and light for the world? And secondly, what does it mean to be salt and light for this world? And lastly, how do we become the salt and light for this world, right? Why, what, and how? Now the first one, why do we need to be the salt and light? You know, today, when we think about salt, we think about one of the easiest uses for it, which is to bring out the flavor of something. But back then, you see, salt was used more as a preservative. In other words, it was used to make sure something lasted for a really long time. If you wanted to keep your meat to be able to use it for a, a while later, then you would salt it, and therefore it would last for a very long time. You see, food that would normally decay and die, it would be salted, and therefore the salt would stop it from decaying. And so what does it mean? Why in the world would Jesus use this example? Why would he use this metaphor? Why would he say that we are the salt of the earth? You see, church, the world is decaying. It is slowly falling apart. And we're talking about all aspects of it, physically, culturally, socially, and relationally. Even things that seem like they would last forever, you see those things, in fact, disappear over time. Rocks, after a while, will begin to break apart. They turn into sand. Sand begins to break apart, begins to disappear as well. Church, look at your own lives. We can eat healthy. We can exercise regularly. We can do everything we possibly can. But eventually, eventually we will decay and eventually we will die. And you see, that's just physically. When you think about relationships, it's only with extreme effort. It's only with care that you can keep a relationship together. Am I right? I mean, how many of us can say that we are still just as close with our high school friends? It's super rare. You see, if you don't actively try and meet and talk and care for one another, that relationship will decay and it will eventually die. In this passage here, Jesus is explaining a foundational truth in this world. 
that if you don't work for something good, then it eventually, it will naturally go towards what's bad. And the reason why is because of sin. You see Romans 3.23, it says that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And later on in Romans 12, it says that sin entered the world through Adam and with it death. And death was from the time of Adam to the time of Moses. And that pattern of death is still here today. What Jesus is saying is, if you're not actively fighting for good, then sin, then death, then evil will overcome. It will naturally be a part of how the world works. You know, I remember when I worked at a church in D.C. And I was surprised because the church was so culturally and ethnically diverse. And so I remember going to the pastor and I was saying, man, this is so crazy how when you guys planted here, it's it's such a big coincidence that there's just so many uh, races, there's so many ethnicities, so many cultures here, it's such a blessing. And he stopped me, he corrected me, he said, Danny, look, it is a blessing, but it's not by coincidence. Because from the minute we planted this church, we have grounded it in prayer saying, God, would you bring these these types of people to our church? Would you make it as ethnically and as racially and culturally diverse as possible? And so what what he did from the very beginning was he would hold workshops, he would do prayer gatherings, he would do everything he possibly could in order to bring in people who would make the church racially and ethnically diverse. And he said something interesting as well. He said that there was a season a few years back when they were doing really well in that aspect. And so they decided, you know what, um, we're going to try to focus our, our kind of what we've been going towards is a little bit differently. And so they stopped praying as much for that specific goal. They stopped uh, holding as many workshops and all those things. And what he realized and what he began seeing is that there was friction between these different ethnicities in the church. There's, there start to be misunderstandings. There start to be a lot more arguments and fighting. And what he realized also is that as weeks went on, a lot less minorities would come to the church as well. And so he said from that moment on, he realized, no, no I have to pray just as hard as before. I need to be working just as hard as before because the minute I stop, the minute I stop going in this direction, I'm going backwards. You see, the moment you stop working towards something, whether that's your own skill set, your personal relationships, or anything else, it naturally goes towards decay. And this is what Jesus is saying when he relates us to the salt in this earth. Things are dying here, we are dying here, and naturally all things will decay and die. And I know that's sad, right? (laughs) Now, the other metaphor he uses Why would Jesus use the metaphor of light? You are the light in this world. You know, when I was younger, um, every night I remember my dad, he would come into my room and we would talk for a couple minutes uh, and then he would pray for me. And I remember after he would pray, he would stand up, go to the door, turn off the lights, and I would say the exact same thing to him every single night. I said, Dad, can you leave the door open just an inch? Right? You see, if you have ever been in utter darkness, 
when there's not a single light source, it becomes so disorienting. And if you stand in that darkness long enough, you begin to get dizzy almost. There's like a type of vertigo that happens. And it's because your mind, it can't see where it should be, and so it can't balance itself. But you see, the one thing that can give you balance, the one thing that can reorient you and put everything back in its place is light. Even if it was dark, you see, I knew that eventually I would be able to see because there would be light coming through that tiny space between my door. In the Bible, light and dark are talked about many times. And they are symbolized by what's true and what's false. In this world, we know this. We know this to be a fact that the world will try and convince us that there are a lot of different truths in this world. Because before, it was a lot more of, hey, like, there's no truth at all, that, that there's no God, that we are all supposed to be atheists in that way. But now in our culture, in our generation, it's more about there are multiple truths, that everything is true. It's all relative to what you want to believe. It's all based upon your own personal convictions. You see, everything is true and everything is light. And because everything seems true and nothing seems false, what happens is that we have such a difficult time, if not impossible time, trying to differentiate between what is true and what is false. You see, church, without light, everything becomes disorienting. And that's why Jesus says, look, the world is dark. For you today, right now, the world is dark. That people will try to drag you in every single other direction. But you are the light of the world. We have light in the midst of complete darkness because we have ultimate truth. We have the one Real truth. Now, what is that ultimate truth? In John 14, 6, Jesus, he says, I am the way and the truth and the life. And what we believe as Christians is that Jesus lived a perfect life, that he died a sinner's death, and that he rose again on the third day so that we could have a relationship with him. See, what it means to be salt and light in this world is to believe that Jesus Christ is the only way to eternal life and that there's no one else in whom we can put our faith in. And this, this, is, this truth is so difficult for so many people because they, are, they just do not want to believe that because they want to believe so badly that all people can go to heaven. They want to believe so badly that there are multiple ways to heaven. They want to believe so badly that there's one characteristic of God and one characteristic only, and that's love and nothing else, and therefore God accepts everyone else. And yet, what we see again and again in the Bible is that regardless of what you believe, Jesus never gives us that option. In 1 Timothy 2, it says that there is one God, one mediator, and that person is Jesus Christ. And he gave his life as a ransom for many. And it's toward the end of the sermon here in Matthew 7, where he talks about all of these different things. And finally, he says, you know what? The truth, it's narrow. 
The gate to where you can go to heaven is so small. But broad is the way that most people will think. Broad is the way that most people will go. But you know the truth. And because of that, the road is so narrow and so blessed are you. Jesus is the truth. He is the light. He is the salt. In John 1, Jesus calls himself the light of the world. And you see, church, there's a reason why Jesus never compares us to the sun. He never compares us to the stars here. He compares us to a lamp. Because the sun by itself is a source of light, but a lamp, it only holds it. We are simply a reflection of who he is. We are never the source of light. If we try to work in our own way, if we try to bring our own righteousness, if we try to do our own work and try to convert someone, it will never work. Transformation happens only through Jesus Christ. You see, he says that he is the light of the world and that if we believe in him, then we can become like a lamp and have his light in us. We can hold the true light and we can shine it to a world that desperately needs him. And so lastly, how do we become the salt and light of this world? It means that we, and this is the third metaphor that's used in this passage, can become a city on a hill. You see, the reason why this metaphor would be strange at that time was because most cities were built towards a water source and they were built with the traveling destinations in mind, with the footpaths and, and, where, paths, and where people would travel a lot. And those were always, almost 99% of the time, towards the bottom of hills, in valleys even. And so cities would naturally build in those ways. And yet, what Jesus says is the complete opposite. He says, no, you need to be a city on a hill. You see, if you build a city on a hill, it would be difficult. Absolutely. But at night, when they burn their lights, they would be seen for miles. It makes sense to be near what's most convenient, but Jesus isn't looking for what's most convenient. He's searching for those who will follow him. And we talked about this last week as well, that the values of the world are so much easier to follow because it's immediate, it's now. But when we think about the values of what Jesus Christ is trying to tell us, the values of Christianity, the values of the gospel, those things are so much harder because the ultimate reward, the ultimate hope is never going to be in this lifetime. And so what Jesus is saying is, look, you need to be like a city on a hill. You need to be countercultural. Because for the most part, this world is never going to make sense of what you're doing. And it's interesting because the rest of the Sermon on the Mount, the next couple chapters, Jesus talks about the way that we can live as a city on a hill. He talks about money, and we're going to be talking about possessions and money and, and how, the world is, how the world thinks of it and how we should think of it. The, 
Jesus, he talks about relationships, about adultery, about marriage, about all of these different things. And he talks about this is the way the world thinks, and now this is the way that I believe you should think of now. And so he says, look, this is how the world espouses your values should be, and yet you need to be a city on a hill. You need to be the salt of the earth. You need to be the light of the world, and this is how you do it. See, he gives us practical step-by-step instructions. But the question is, how do we live this way right now, today, this week? How do we live this way in our workplaces, in our homes, and in our church? You see, if we are light, then what light does is expose what is false. If we are salt, then we are able to stop what is decaying and dying. What that means is that when we hear, when we hear gossip, we reveal it to be wrong. It means that when we hear racist and misogynistic conversations that are veiled as jokes, then we can call them out as racist and wrong. You see, we have that ability, we have that power, we have that privilege because we are called to be the light in dark places. When we see something wrong, being the light means that we are able to expose those things as wrong to others. But it's not all just bad stuff. Because light doesn't just expose what is terrible. It doesn't just expose what is decaying and dead. Light exposes beauty. Without light, we wouldn't be able to see some of the most amazing and beautiful things in this entire world. And this means that it's our job as well to bring joy to other people. It means that it's our job to bring joy in our workplaces, in our families, in our church. And that's a beautiful thing because I think when it comes to a lot of these places that don't, a lot of people who don't know Jesus Christ, their lives are so unstable, their lives are so up and down. And yet for us, what we can do is we can go into those spaces and we can bring a stability that maybe they've never experienced before. That even in the, the harshest times of our lives, they're going to be able to see the sense of peace. They're going to be able to see the sense of stability that they've never seen before. And for us, what we can do as, as our minds start to go more towards Christ is we can stop saying, what can, this, what can these things, how can these things help me? And more, how can I help this place? How can I help this workplace? How can I help my family? How can I help this church? What can I do to bring the best out of these people? You see, church, I, I hope that these words, that, that this passage is an encouragement to you, but I ho- also hope that it's completely a challenge also. Because in verse 11, You see, it says, Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. You see here, there's no if statement. It's not saying, look, if these things happen to you, if you're persecuted, if you're reviled, Jesus saying is when those things happen. There is a certainty that if you follow Jesus Christ, 
that if you believe in the values of the kingdom, that if you try to be a light and salt to this world, that you will be persecuted, you will be hurt, you will be talked badly of, you will be gossiped about, you will have all of these things happen to you. And it's, it's just like the strange middle ground because you see on one side we have people who, who are going to hate you, who are going to hate what you believe, who are not going to understand what you're trying to do. And yet on the other side, you're going to have people who are naturally attracted to you, who want to come closer to you, and whose lives are forever changed because of what God does through your life. And I know that that's difficult for a lot of us. But the reason why we're able to endure, the reason why we're able to continue on, is because we have this unending and imperishable hope. And that hope is Jesus Christ. Church, this world is going to decay. It's already decaying. It's already dying. Everything is starting to unravel faster and faster. But you see, there is hope. Because even though this world is dying, our hope is in a God who is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. He is the God of the universe who was before time. And even when we are gone, even when, even when this world disappears, he will still be here. And what a blessing it is that our names are written in the book of life and that our names will never be erased. So church, have hope. Have hope, because yes, this world is dying, it's decaying, but you are the light of the world. You are the salt of the earth. And we hold something so precious that will never die. And his name is Jesus Christ. Let's pray.